How many people had a day off work today? Well, there's something to be said for presidents. I don't know. You got a day off. That's a good thing. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I'm not going there. <laughs> That's another talk. So, some readings for you. This, was, this is from John O'Donohue. The mystery never leaves you alone. Behind your image, below your words, above your thoughts, the silence of another world awaits. A world lives within you. No one else can bring you news of this inner world. So I think of what we're doing here is, an, is that invitation. It's an exploration, not just of our inner world, but certainly um, with awareness we are illuminating to some degree our inner life and uh, the more subtler, deeper rhythms and um, nuance and uh, insights and perceptions. This is from Bokanon. Life is a garden, not a road. We enter and exit through the same gate, wandering. Where we go matters less than what we notice. Where we go matters less than what we notice. And the final little piece from Jules Renard. If I had my life to live over again, I would ask that nothing be changed but that my eyes be opened wider. I would ask that nothing be changed, but my eyes be opened wider. That I might be more present, more aware, more awake, more alive, more connected to this one wild and precious life. How much are we sleepwalking through our lives, how much we asleep to ourselves or asleep to each other or to the deeper meaning and mystery of life, nature, beauty. So spiritual teachings, Buddhist teachings, they're Invitations, reminders, challenges to um, you know wake up to our potential, to live with our capacities that we've been given, but we don't necessarily utilize. So one of the gifts that we have been bestowed with, everybody, no matter what your circumstances great or small, difficult or easy, is the gift of awareness, the jewel of awareness. This quality that's innate to our mind 
that is always with us and always revealing something. And it's one of the mysteries of life. Neuroscientists, the ones I know, you know, trying to study mindfulness and attention and the brain and what's happening in there, you know, mostly no idea what awareness is, (laughs) no idea what consciousness is, where it's located. And the best we've got is, you know, fMRI machines that you know reveal certain activity and certain blood flow in certain brain regions that indicate something about something <laughs> i mean i 'm being a little facetious here, you know, so forgive me all of you you know I, I am a big uh, uh, fan of neuroscience and what it 's revealing about the brain, but you know any good neuroscience that I know would say yeah we're we 're at the very, very beginning of understanding. Even the brain, even how a thought really arises. Never mind the awareness and the consciousness that's knowing, that's present to the thought. Present to itself. Can behold itself, right? And, you know, there's various species have developed this more than others, human Homo sapiens, one species, but other species also have awareness, sentience, presence, self-awareness, some. Someone was just telling me about a study that they were studying ravens, which are very intelligent birds. I think they have the intelligence of a three-year-old child, and they showed up a mirror to the red. They painted a, a spot of red on the raven's wing, on this raven's black wing and uh, showed the raven its image in the mirror with the red spot on its wing and it immediately went (laughs) some knowing that that mirror image was itself. And the mirror being one, one analogy amongst many that teachers have used over the centuries to try and describe this quality of awareness. This mirror-like quality of mind that reflects experience in mysterious ways. So one of the interesting things about awareness, and this has been a, a lifelong study of mine, as it has been maybe for some of you, we don't, I mean, well, it's different now. When I started practicing in 1984, there wasn't a lot of talk about meditation. It wasn't on the front cover of Time magazine. It didn't appear on the New York Times or the latest research on what mindfulness can do for your kids' ADD. There was nothing. It was just like, well, meditation, that's kind of weird. My family had thought I joined a cult. They preferred me as this crazy punk rocker, mohawk and wild child to being a Buddhist because the 
Buddhism sounded really weird, but punk was one thing, and then Buddhism was like, you know, Mars or something. <laughs> and um, and I'd stumbled, I'd, so I'm, I'm just finished, I'm very proud and happy to say I've just finished writing my new book. I finished last Thursday night at 10.30, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and the book's on mindfulness, and so I'm kind of cognizant of my story because I was writing about my story in the book and um, you know very cognizant of when I first learned about mindfulness meditation and how that practice somehow just as it does for many turned on a light bulb like this inner light bulb went off it's like oh I can I can watch my own mind I can be aware of my own thoughts. I can see all of these habits and tendencies and how crazy and noisy and busy and painful it is in there. And I hadn't really looked in the mirror in that way. You know, the, the ex- our general orientation is external. Unless there's a sort of problem here, we might give this attention, the body and the heart. And, but mostly our attention is externally oriented. Meditation, for the most part, is an internal orientation of attention, of awareness. Which is very illuminating and humbling and surprising and interesting. And I've, from that time onwards, always thought it quite interesting that we have this amazing thing called awareness, attention, that really de- determ- not determines but influences and affects our whole lives in significant ways. Yet we're never taught anything about it, partly because we don't know much about it. We're not taught how to train it or develop it or understand it or use it. And yet it's what allows for so many things. If you think about all the things that you do and you've done in your life, could any of that have been done without awareness? Anything. Maybe, but not much. So uh, in these teachings, we give this quality of mind significant attention. And I'm gonna this is really the theme of the talk tonight. So in mindfulness practice, which is often um, pejoratively talked about as a dualistic practice, which means there's an observer and an observed, there's a there's a subject and an object, there's the observing and the breath, there's me and my awareness of that sound. That's a dualistic framework of subject, object, me, other. And mindfulness is a way of, one way of cultivating this quality of attention through attention to objects, breath, body, sounds, feelings, thoughts, sensations, etc. And that trains and cultivates this quality of awareness, of present moment attention in a very beautiful and profound way. <clears throat> but what often gets overlooked is, the qual- is that which is doing the knowing. That which is aware. 
So there's an instruction that um, I said in this talk that I originally heard from Joseph Goldstein, where he'll say, you know, sensations being known, breath being felt, sounds being known, etc. Known by what? What is doing the knowing? What is knowing? What is knowing right now as you listen to these words? What is aware? What is that allows you the faculty to hear and see and process and make sense of that? Without awareness, well, you'd probably be dead, actually, but <laughs> or asleep. Some of you are already asleep. <laughs> That's okay. It's a late, late on a Monday night. So, what is this thing called awareness? So if you pay attention right now to your awareness, what do you notice? Anybody like to say? Yes. which is a very interesting analogy for awareness. I'll just repeat what you said so people can hear. So um, the comment was how, uh, I forget the word, what was the word used? Forgiving. Forgiving the air is. We take it for granted, we need it to, for, to survive, and it's always there whether we remember it or not. A little like awareness. Always there, take it for granted, when something happens, like you have a concussion, or you're too drunk that you can't function, or stoned, or whatever it is that you're into, um, we might notice, oh, I'm really compromised here. I've compromised my attention. One of the reasons I mostly gave up drinking when I was young, and I was at college, and started to meditate, and I really just lit up with, with mindfulness and meditation. It was really kind of spellbinding to me. And, you know, if I'd gotten drunk the night before, the meditations in the morning were like, kind of painful, <laughs> kind of dull. And I, was, I spent the whole day sort of dull. And the more that I shone the light of awareness, shone as in shined, and shone, um, the more I didn't want to dull it. Because why would I want to dull this beautiful, clear, crystal clear, luminous quality of mind? With whatever substance or activity that dulled it. So in, the, in many different um, teachings, in Buddhism and others, places. Uh, sometimes these teachings on awareness were considered secret teachings. 
that they were in this in certain Tibetan Buddhist systems, for example, the the teachings on pointing to the nature of awareness were considered a very high teaching. Were not given out to people who, unless they'd done a lot of practice, like we're talking ten, twenty years, a practice minimum. So, for various reasons that I'm not going to go into, um, but I did hear a lovely, a lovely uh, frame of uh, what what secret teachings mean. You might have heard in the context of Buddhism or other traditions about secret teachings. The reason often teachings are secret is not because they're kept in secret, it's because when you give them, 99% of the room doesn't understand what you're talking about and they stay secret. (laughs) That's the real essence of a secret teaching. And for many of you tonight, this might be like, well, that was interesting. I think it's still a secret teaching to me, but I'm kind of curious. I'll listen to the talk later on Dharma Seed and see what he was on about. Um, So, you know, you come to come to teachings like this, you come to talks, and sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm kind of, kind of curious about what that was about. It seemed to be pointing to something that I sort of maybe know or intimated a little bit or felt at times. Maybe I don't live there. I'm curious about that. So when I was studying with a teacher in India, Punjaji, sometimes lovingly referred to as Papaji, he would uh, be pointing to this teaching from an Advaita Vedanta point of view, which is similar but different to the way the Buddhist, Buddhists frame the teaching. And um, he was pointing in the way that Rumi and others do to that what you're seeking is already here. It's already within your own mind, within your own heart, that all you have to remove is the is the view, the belief, the obstacle that realization, awakening, etc., is isn't here, and was pointing to this quality of ever-knowing, present awareness as the nature of mind, as the, as the one that the one who knows that is already awake, that is already free. Unless we go to the past to look at our thoughts and problems and bank balance and whatever else that's troubling us. If we actually just reside in present moment awareness, there's no problem. doesn't mean there's not chaos in the world, but there's no problem from the perspective of awareness. And so what happens when, you know, for example, in the presence of, of, of this teacher, he had a very strong presence and was able to sort of transmit this quality of knowing that people would wake up and understand, oh, right, it's already right here. There's nothing to do. There's nothing, nowhere to go. There's nothing, it's not anywhere but right in the nature of my own mind and heart. And that was a beautiful understanding. People would come to realize that. They'd go home and they'd go, wow, I've lost touch with that. And they'd have to go all the way back to Lucknow in northern India to rediscover it again. And you say, what are you doing back? You didn't, you, didn't lo- you didn't get anything or lose anything. It's already here. So what's there to lose? So he gave this teaching, and I'm going to share it. This is just one, one doorway into this quality of presence I'm talking about. So I'm going to repeat a sentence. 
and this could be anything, but I'm going to, I'll use this sentence. I am a meditator sitting here. Okay. I am a meditator sitting here. So I want you to close your eyes, if that's comfortable. If it's not, lower your gaze. And when, whenever I say a sentence, I want you to repeat it silently to yourself. And I'm going to take a word off each time I say the sentence. I am a meditator sitting here. And just feel into that. I'm a meditator sitting here. I am a meditator sitting. I am a meditator. I am a. I am. I. Now take away the I. And close your eyes. your eyes closed or open as you like. So just shout out a word that's present on doing that exercise. Whatever the word is. Whatever you're feeling in relationship to what just happened. Peace. Soul. Soul. Presence? Hmm? Effort free. Effortless. Still. Home. Empty. Letting go. Hard to not put the eye back. Hey, I had this great experience at Spirit Rock. We did this thing, we got rid of the eye, and it was really cool. I think I had the least eye in the room. I think I was the eyeless. <laughs> right? The eye, and, and Punjaji talks a lot about this, the eye thought we have an experience, we have a profound experience, meditation, opening, awakening, whatever it is, we, which, and usually the, one of the flavors of that depth of experience is the sense of eye or separation or constriction or duality, dissolves for a moment, for a while. We have a sort of opening, connection, oneness, however we all use all these different words. And then at some point, as that experience moves through, the mind returns with its reflection, oh, that was cool. I had this really cool experience. I had this really cool selfless experience. That makes me really cool self, selfless self. And then we get into trouble. <laughs> and then we build a spiritual identity. Oh, look, I've had all these really cool non-dual experiences. That makes me special. Or not. 
So, um, so just to notice that the well, that's a whole other conversation about the presence and absence of the I, but it does also relate to awareness um, in that we identi- we can take I- we can take we identify with awareness as me, as I. I'm the one who's aware. But in truth, that construct of I is just an addition to the experience. What is happening is experience is happening and awareness is knowing things moment by moment. And we can say, well, it's my awareness, but that's just a turn of phrase. Awareness is knowing. Awareness is awareing. We don't have that verb in the English language yet, awareing. It's a bit weird, but it's sort of accurate. So this is from the mystic Indian mystic Lala, who said, Awareness cleaned my mind to a polished mirror. The presence came near, and I knew that that was everything, and I was nothing. So what I'm pointing to is um, this quality of awareness is talked about in different ways in different traditions. So some might call it pure awareness. Achan Jomnyan, who used to teach here, monk from uh, Thailand, southern Thailand, called it uh, Mahasati, great, great, um, great mind or great knowing. Um, Achan Cha, another great Thai teacher, would refer to it as the one who knows, that which knows. Sometimes referred to as lucid awareness. Sometimes where meditation is referred to, as, as, as Lala was pointing to, of polishing the mirror of awareness, shining the mirror, the clarity of knowing. And I know some of you are thinking, well, this all sounds very nice, but my mind feels like a muddy pond. (laughs) And my awareness feels like the batteries of the flashlight went out. And it feels dull or busy or distractible or petty or reactive or dull or confused. Anybody feel any of that? (laughs) Yeah, it's my meditation. (laughs) So, why why do these teachings point to awareness? Why do these teachings point to mindfulness as being one of the sort of substrata of the spiritual life? Why does the Buddha point to mindfulness and awareness being the vehicle for finding peace and freedom? Eckhart Tolle once wrote, Awareness is the greatest agent for change. Awareness is the greatest agent for change, which I think is a very beautiful way of speaking about what I'm talking about. So without awareness, transformation isn't possible. Change isn't possible. Growth isn't possible. Development isn't possible because we don't learn. We learn through awareness, through knowing, through understanding. 
And why I'm pointing to this particular quality of awareness, which, which has a quality of spaciousness in it, is because normally we get very embroiled and entangled in stuff and in our experience, in our emotions, in our reactions, in our thoughts, in our identities, in our perceptions, and we lose the clarity. We get caught up in an argument, in reacting to someone, in feeling defensive or hurt or betrayed or whatever it is, and we lose that clarity of, of knowing. So there's a, there's a phrase from Stephen Covey, Covey who um, was speaking about um, Viktor Frankl, and he said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In, this, in that space lies our freedom and capacity to choose our response. In that response lies our growth and happiness. Right? In that space, that awareness is the space. Space provides that Awareness provides the space of knowing so we don't get so embroiled. I remember teaching a, a retreat up the hill and this woman was, uh, one of her, her, her work meditation job was sweeping the kitchen. Which, you know, sounds like a nice Zen job, you know. You know. Beats doing emails, you know, just sweeping the kitchen. But she would get really tense and uptight every time she'd go to sweep the kitchen. She's like, what's going on? Why am I so uptight about sweeping the kitchen? It's not a big deal. It's not rocket science. I think I know how to do it. And um, as she was reflecting through the week, she started to have all these memories of being a young girl. She was about six, I think. And her mother died. And uh, she said, from that moment on, I lost my childhood. I was the oldest daughter and I was expected to clean around the house and do clean up in the kitchen and all of that stuff. And that, as she became more aware of those layers of pain and hurt and loss, and it was all coming about through that simple awareness of just tracking, oh, what's going on as I'm sweeping the floor, getting really up tense and uptight? That's how awareness reveals the truth of our experience can do over time when we're patient and curious and uh, steady. So, so what happens when we shift the gravitational pull from the experience to the knowing? It's like we have a bigger vantage point. It's like we're taking a bird's eye view. We're not so lost and embroiled. It's just like whenever you get, you know, you get caught up, maybe you get triggered driving or in an argument at work or with your spouse or your kids or your parents or whatever it is, and you're just in it. And maybe you take a walk, you go into another room, and the meeting ends, whatever, and suddenly you start to get a little more present, a little more self-collected, a little aware. And suddenly you start disentangling from the from whatever you were embroiled in. I remember a time, uh, I don't know why this story came to me and I was thinking about this talk today. Um, so I, I, I had the luxury of spending a lot of time in India in the 90s. I was mostly on meditation retreats for most of the 90s. And um, 
studying these practices and spending lots of time in India and um, and then coming back to the States to work. And um, I'd just come off this very serene retreat and I was at, staying at a friend's house in, in uh, down San Geronimo. And um, I was taking a nap one day and I like naps. I'm a big siesta fan. It's like a big part of spiritual practice is good siesta. And um, and the neighbor's son starts practicing the bugle. <laughs> practicing, must have been July, close to July 4th or something. Practicing the national anthem or something. Badly. <laughs> During siesta time. Like, it was just a bad moment. You know, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, it was just like annoying. <laughs> And it's just so interesting when you know when there's when we have access to awareness, we can kind of see the whole show build itself, the story and wow, well, and irritation and the blame and the judgment and the annoyance and the you know why you know blah 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 blah, a lot of lot of chatter chatter, and then at some point you know hopefully awareness sort of wakes itself up in the middle of that little pity party and we go oh this is a lot of whole lot of fuss about nothing someone's playing some annoying sounds and close the window and go back to sleep not a big deal unless we make it a big deal and get all you know revved up so as we establish awareness so there's there's some beautiful words in the in the in the Satipatthana texts where the Buddha is talking about cultivating this mindful awareness. He talks about establishing and abiding in awareness. Establishing and abiding in awareness. What would it be to establish and abide in awareness as you move through your life? Where awareness becomes the, the reference point rather than being lost in what's um, happening. As that, those words from Machan Sumedha, be the knowing, not the, not the conditions that are known. Be the knowing, not the conditions that are known. Right now as you're listening, being curious about the awareness that's knowing this experience, that's knowing these words and these thoughts and these perceptions, these feelings. And then experience gets um, much easier to be with. I always laugh now when I get on planes because I know I'm going to be sitting in front of the, you know, screaming baby or, or the kicking, you know, kicking two-year-old, you know. Do they somehow like to kick those seats in front? I'm not sure why. Maybe the leg's just, you know, just perfect angle. But And I just laugh. Oh, it's a red-eye to London? Of course. It's a family. A whole family. Great. May you be happy. May we all be happy. May we all sleep well. Good luck with that one. <laughs> oh, we have more lightness about our stuff and our neurosis. So I was, so I was, just got back from Baja teaching this wonderful. Uh, so I teach these uh, teacher trainings. This one is a, um, it's called Awake in the Wild Meditation and Nature Teacher Training. So I'm guiding people how to do my nature meditation work, which is fabulous. If you haven't. Um, tasted it, come on a retreat, they're fabulous. I lead daylongs here in the summer. And um, so I'm, uh, oh, and it was really cold one morning, 
so I'm looking for my cold clothes. We have this early morning meditation at sunrise. And uh, it gets cold at night. So I have my clo- warm clothes on at night. And I put them somewhere. And in the morning I get up and I couldn't find them. Like, what's up with that? I've got this tiny room. <laughs> I can't be that far. Looked everywhere. Like, okay, well, i just going to get cold during the meditation. So I went to meditation. It was cold. And it was all right. And I came back like, okay, They've got to be somewhere. I came into my room. I took them off. Like, but and I looked around. I couldn't see them. And then, like, it was like later that afternoon. It's like maybe I put them in the drawer where I was storing my warm clothes. And lo and behold, they were in the drawer where my warm clothes were. Mister Mindfulness wins the day again. You've got to laugh at yourself. Right? Or it allows us to disengage from our own crazy minds. I remember teaching a retreat here a long time ago, working with a theater director, and, um, and I teach a lot about the inner critic, and we, we, were, we were having some dialogue about his self-judging thoughts, and being a, in, the, in the arts, in the theater, he had a very critical mind because he's always dealing with outer critics and um, he's walking down the hill one day and his mind's giving him a hard time about not being the perfect meditator and not being whatever mindful enough and whatever else the critic likes to beat us up for and at some point awareness is like this spring and it's sort of like it bursts forth and we have this, these, these ahas, these moments of clarity, of insight. And he's just thought, he realized, oh, these judgments, they're just a bunch of thoughts. They're just a bunch of words. They don't mean anything or have any power except to that which I give them meaning and power. Right? The yada, 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 you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not blah, blah, blah enough. They're painful and powerful if we give them meaning and power. So from the perspective of awareness, it's just thoughts. It's just painful judgments. So so I'm saying some of these things, and you know, I could spend all night talking about the ways that mindfulness, awareness helps us see and unhook from some of the painful tangles we get in. And as we learn to abide with more awareness and presence, first we become more embodied because awareness is not separate from our physical experience. We, uh, we notice the space between thoughts. We notice the space in which everything is coming and going. We start to feel a little less bothered and affected by things because awareness is unmoved. It's like throwing paint at the sky. The sky does not care what color you paint it. Right? It's the same as awareness. Try punching awareness between the eyes. There's no eyes. It's just presence, awareness. Awareness is unmoved clarity of knowing. So a couple more things before I close. So um, 
So there are many teachings that point to awareness being the nature of our own mind. But we don't see that. And in, in, in one Tibetan tradition, they talk about there's four reasons why we don't see this jewel of awareness. Why we don't see the nature of our own mind. One is because it's too near. Awareness is so near, it's so, in, it's so close, it's so part of the fabric of our being. We don't see it. It's like fish don't see water, as far as I'm aware. They don't be like, oh, pretty salty today. Mm. Pretty wet. Pretty fluid. <laughs> no, we're just, they're just in it. We don't see air. Right? It's, an, it's, so, it's so near. The second reason, it's too ordinary. Awareness is both amazing and it's ordinary. It's the simple knowing of experience. So when I, um, so for example, if you rub your hands, rub your hands right now, you don't have to make a lot of effort to, to know that experience. Whether you're looking at your hands or not, there's simple awareness of that experience. Same as if I ring the bell. Just because I'm giving that instruction, you don't need to go, okay, now let's listen. <laughs> right? No, you just relax and, you know, sounds, touch, sensations, feelings, perceptions, seeing, all those things are known for the most part if your faculties are working. Third is um, uh, we overlook the nature of awareness uh, because it's too profound too profound, too wondrous, some translate it as. Because it is, it's this mysterious thing. And we'll do a little inquiry into it in a minute. And the fourth is because it's too subtle. Too subtle. How do you, how do you pay attention to something that's invisible, timeless, and without spatial location? What is there to see? Like right now, when you look at your own awareness, what do you see? So there's a, a, a Tibetan teacher, Shabkar Rinpoche, I think from the 18th century, wonderful uh, meditator, poet, mystic, would roam, roam the hillsides of Tibet and meditate in these wild places and caves and on islands and late in the middle of lakes. And, um, and, uh, and he gives us a beautiful uh, text called The Flight of the Garuda. And he's um, pointing people to pay attention to the nature of your own mind. So we'll do this right now. I'm just going to walk you through it. So, um, so you can close your eyes. Or not. doesn't matter, really. You have your eyes down. And turn your attention to that which is knowing. Awareness. Does it have a shape? Does it have a size? Does it have a location? A color? 
Does it have an age? Agenda, a history. Can you say it's yours? Do you own it? Can you control it? Can you switch it off? Or is it just happening by itself? Awareness is unobstructed, clear, radiant, but clearly cognizant. There's a cognizant, there's a knowing that accompanies that awareness. So, so I invite you in your meditation at home as your whatever kind of practice, particularly mindfulness practice that you might be doing, at times, as well as being aware of the breath or the body or sounds or sensations, feelings, thoughts, whatever you're attending to, attend to also that which is knowing, that which is aware, that which is illuminating experience. And as we do that, as we become to to know and abide in this quality of awareness, there's a certain, as I was speaking to others, there's a certain kind of freedom that comes, there's a spaciousness, there's an ease, there's an imperturbability can happen. But it's not cool and detached. It's not like awareness is like on the shelf back there, looking down like a light. No, it's intimate. It's an intimate it's intimate with the fabric of our experience. If I say, bring awareness to your left foot, right, you don't have to look at your left foot and that you start to feel sensations in your feet. Feel your right hand. Or your left eye. Brow. There's, there's an intimacy to awareness. It's not abstract and it's not distant. There's an immediacy. Dogen, a great Zen teacher, talked about awakening being an intimacy with all things. And awareness is intimate. It allows us to know experience. It's a beautiful poem from John Moffat. He writes, it's about looking in nature. He says, if you would look at anything, you would look at it long. If you, know, if you would know that thing, you would look at it long. To look at this green and say, I have known spring in these woods would not do. Be the thing that you see. 
Be the thing you see. You must be the dark snakes of the stems and the fiery plumes of the leaves. You must enter into the small silences between the leaves. You must take your time and you must feel the very peace from which they issue forth from. Be the thing that you see. Enter into the small silences between the leaves. That's someone who's cultivated an awareness, an attentiveness, a subtlety. And as we become more aware and more awake, one of the things that also rises, it's not coolness, it actually becomes warmth, affection and love. When we see something clearly, a person, a flower, a group of people, a cloud, first flowers in spring coming up, the tulips and the daffodils and the crocuses. It touches the heart when we're aware, when there's presence. This is from... Joanna Macy, who says, if you mindfully put your attention, your awareness on anything, you find love arising for whatever it is, anything. You put your attention on it and it reveals itself to you. This is one of the mysteries of awareness that allows us to feel warmth, affection, tenderness, and love for things, people, experiences, and perhaps even for ourselves. That's all I had to say. Let's just sit for a moment before we close. And as we sit together and maybe you're tired, maybe you're ready to go home, whatever's here, just knowing that how whatever state you're in, pleasant, unpleasant, happy, sad, bored, excited, notice how awareness can hold all experience without flinching, without avoiding, and with caring. May we all learn to abide in awareness. Okay, thank you everybody. Thank you for your attention. Nice to see you all. See you again sometime. I have some information about some of my events I think on the back table and Please sign up on my email list if you want to hear more about my work and my upcoming book, which is coming out soon. Have a nice rest of your holiday. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.